0: Welcome to the very first episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Uh, I'm incredibly excited to be bringing this to you. This has taken such a long time for us to get through with SB Nation and everything, and we at the website are so happy to finally be bringing this to you. Uh, my name is Jake Fenner. I've been a writer with the Rebs website since about June, uh, and I am joined today by my co-host and my brother-in-arms for this, uh, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how are you doing today?
1: It's great. It is awesome to be able to get this off the ground. So much work has went into this, and we are excited to have a new platform to reach the uh, BFW community with and I think that this is just a great step for the website and for the community itself to be able to you know interact more and just to to have a different medium for us to interact and I'm super excited about it
0: yeah this is this has been taking a while like we I know that I haven't been with the blog for a while but I know that this has been kicked around for a little while and then we really started taking this seriously In terms of like trying to see if this would work what I would say since since January and then we didn't hear anything from or we didn't really reach out to SBN until like I would say what mid-February
1: about then. Yeah. Yeah. Right about then. I mean we did try and put a lot of thought into this and see exactly what we wanted to do and how we wanted this to work. And before we jumped into it, we really just wanted to have the idea of where this all would go. And I think that right now we're at a spot where I think that we're ready as a site to really take this next step.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So if you didn't catch the uh, blog post that we put out, kind of giving the overview, I'll do a very brief rundown. So usually we'll start off with an introduction and a little bit of small talk. Then we go into our first segment, which is called After 90 Minutes. And that's a breakdown of all of the game usually one game but when it's an English week we'll go ahead and have multiple then after that we will have a segment called Der Ausblick which for the non-German speaking population means Outlook and that's just a preview of the following game then the third segment will alternate back and forth Uh, we will do either a newsroom where we break down some of the biggest stories surrounding Bayern Munich and the Bundesliga and uh, the DFB and generally everything that has gone on that we cover that is important. Or some weeks we will ask you guys, the audience, to send in some questions to us on Twitter and we'll talk about them and answer them. And then finally we will do a segment called Before We Go, which is a general discussion topic that we both have prepared and then we just discuss that and then that will be the end of that so that is the general rundown and i don't think we should i don't think we should wait any longer on this it's taken so long to get it underway uh chuck are you ready to light this candle
1: totally let's go for
0: it all right so ladies and gentlemen Alf gates the very first thing we talk about today is after 90 minutes Yes, it is time for After 90 Minutes, our segment where we go ahead and break down the games that Bayern Munich have had this week. Now, there have been two, and the first one is the Pakal, which, dear Lord, what a Pakal fixture this was. This Heidenheim game was absolutely ridiculous. I did not watch it personally just because I was incredibly busy, but... I remember just looking and seeing us down 2-0, asking how the heck we got into down 2-0 with Heidenheim, and then we crawled back, and then we were down again, and then we came back and then tied it, and then went ahead. So, Chuck, you really took a look at the game. What did you notice about the form and just the general play of uh, Bayern Munich? I mean, it was a... First off, it was a fascinating game in a lot of
1: ways just to watch uh, just how everything unfolded. I mean, just from the beginning, the helpless feeling at the beginning of the game, Sula goes down in the 13th or 15th minute, and, and right at that point, you start to think to yourself, I mean, could they possibly lose this game? And, and, and really, I, as I watched and you saw everything kind of develop and how choppy Byron was at times and just how really inspired Heidenheim was. I mean, the fight within that team to be able to play with Bayern Munich for the entirety of that contest, not just to, to show the the inner strength as individuals that they did on the field, but just the fight. I was just so impressed with them. But, I mean, from a Bayern perspective, it there were a lot of things to be scared about watching that game. I mean, defensively, first and foremost, they were just a mess the entire time. And it was... Even when they took control, I mean, we saw them make so many uncharacteristic mistakes that it was very disappointing, especially when you knew what was waiting on Saturday with Bo Rush at Dortmund. It was just, it was scary in a lot of ways. Offensively, there were a lot of great moments, there were a lot of bright spots. And I think like one of the biggest keys was seeing that the attacking mentality never went away. When they trailed, there was never a feeling that they wouldn't be able to come back. And I do think a lot of it was how Robert Lewandowski and Thomas Mueller, how they interacted together on the field and really helped drive the offense. And just to be able to sit back and watch and see how those, the interplay between those two, it really did set the stage for what we saw on Saturday.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Looking back on that game, right? you, had the high of Leon Goretzka scoring in the 12th minute and you really sat there and thought to yourself yep this is this is exactly what we do we're Bayern Munich and this is lowly Heidenheim and we'll be able to move on and then like you said Sula went down in the 13th minute and then what within Within a matter of minutes after that, it was uh, Robert Glotzel from Heidenheim ended up scoring a hat trick. Uh, The first of his goals came in the 26th minute. And then after that, Mark um, Schnatterer, I think, and that's how you pronounce his name, in the 39th, Bayern went into the half down 2-1 and... I just remember saying to myself that there's absolutely no way in hell that we could lose to Heidenheim. Like, I know that this is a rebuilding year, which we'll touch on more later, but it's a rebuilding year, but it's one thing to get knocked out of the Pakal, right? Like, Dortmund got knocked out of the Pokal. Like, it's a tough competition. But to get knocked out by Heidenheim is something I never really thought could happen, and I don't think it's something Bayern thought could happen, and something in my mind really hopes that when they went off to the locker room, either Nico or uh, Neuer or somebody, somebody decided to step up and be a leader and tell everybody, hey guys, we're Bayern Munich, we gotta knock this off, because right out of the gate, Thomas Muller scores in the 53rd minute, and then three minutes later, uh, Lewandowski scores, and... Then Byron are back on top just within a matter within a matter of three minutes. All of that seemed, at least, to have been erased. And then Serge Gnabry scores in the 65th. At that point, you're up 4-2. And then uh, then the wheels almost came off the bus again.
1: Yeah, that's really when Robert Glatzel took over. For, <laughs> with two goals in a span of three minutes, it was just shocking to watch it all unfold. To see, to come from that euphoria, Byron takes a lead, and it looks like they're in complete control to just a complete and utter collapse. And seeing how that fourth goal happened for High when when Mats Hummels took really what was a silly, silly penalty in the box, and it just set the stage for what looked like possibly could be one of the greatest upsets of the season. But somehow, some way. Byron regathered itself it regrouped and they took control once again and and you know I think that does show the true mark of a champion that even when things are going wrong and even when there's so many errors going on the field and no one seems to be on the same page they found a way to win and that was the most important part of the game
0: and they did that in an extremely typical Byron fashion looking at the statistics from this game 88% pass accuracy on 662 passes that just screams possession based football it screams Bayern Munich and possession they kept it was only 60 it was 68% possession to Bayern only 32% to Heidenheim but give all of the credit in the world to Heidenheim for how they showed up for this game, how they said to themselves, this is our opportunity to kind of prove ourselves to the world that even though this is Bayern Munich and even though, yes, we're playing at the Allianz Arena, it doesn't matter. We can come here and we can show up. And on 32% possession, they went seven shots on target out of 11. They scored four goals out of those seven shots on target and they really came out and gave Bayern Munich a run for their money.
1: Oh, absolutely, and I think one thing that, that I know that I initially overlooked was just how important Sven Ulreich was. The 81st minute, the save that he made, I, that could have made it a 5-4 game in Heidenheim's favor. So just to think about that one little play by Ulreich, who who really didn't have a great game, but for that one moment, he he was the best goalkeeper on earth to make that save, and it was impressive, and it set the stage for Lewandowski's penalty kick just a few minutes later.
0: Absolutely. And I remember just reading generally from the BFW mailbag that uh, Phil, our colleague Philip Quinn wrote. uh, Somebody was asking, and I guess we were all kind of asking to go ahead and transition into the next game that we are going to cover. We all kind of sat there after that game and wondered whether or not. Bayern Munich was going to be able to turn this around for Saturday for what could have possibly been the most important fixture for the Bundesliga title and if this team ever needed a kick in the ass in order to get itself going it was this Heidenheim game because 5-0 at the Allianz Arena for a final against Borussia Dortmund was something that I never thought was going to happen, and I don't think anybody who watched that Heidenheim game thought it was going to happen either.
1: No, absolutely not. Especially with the way that Borussia Dortmund has played this season, and the way that the first matchup went, I really, I don't know that anyone really could have thought that that Bayern would come out, be fully confident, play as confident as they were, and be so precise and accurate with everything. And not, not just that, just the aggression and heart that they played with, such a passion that we haven't seen at all times this season. And to me, that was the team that we've all been waiting to see. And I know that it, it sounds easy to say that after a 5-0 you know 5-0 win over your arch rival, but that's what we've been waiting for. It was pretty flawless. And I, I mean, you know, from my standpoint, I don't think that we could ask for much more from the team than what we got that day. And that's partly what scares me moving forward
0: so yeah going ahead and looking at this schedule right it's not this title race is not over it was a it was a good game between the top two teams this title race is not over Bayern Munich have to play uh their their upcoming Bundesliga fixtures are Fortuna Dusseldorf uh Werder Bremen Nuremberg Hannover and then their final two games of the season are RB Leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt. That Fortuna-Düsseldorf game, I think, is a really sneaky game. And then just to finish with Leipzig and Frankfurt, Chuck, that's got to be really rough.
1: Oh, absolutely. When you look at the final two games, I mean, Werder Bremen and Dusseldorf aside, both of those games will be an absolute challenge for Bayern. But just to know that you have RB Leipzig and Eintracht Frankfurt as your last two games, You know, against two opponents, they're going to be totally amped up to knock you off. I I feel like Bayern, as much as they showed, as much heart and passion that they showed against Borussia Dortmund, I think that they really need to have that same level of intensity throughout the rest of the schedule, but especially within those last two games. When it comes down to it and you look at it, Leipzig and Frankfurt, this will make their season. You know, Europa slots aside... I mean, to knock off Bayern Munich there in the last two weeks of the season, potentially ruining their seventh straight Bundesliga title, I think that that would be a high mark for either of those two organizations. And, you know, as you talked about with Dusseldorf and Werder Bremen, I mean, to have to play Werder Bremen in the Pokal and also to finish in the schedule, I I think that puts Bayern at a disadvantage. I mean, there are no easy weeks. I mean, Hanover, if you look at it, they're not a great squad. But again, you're going to get Hanover's best effort. And I think that's one thing that Bayern has not handled well throughout this season, ever, especially early on. And part of that might have been dealing with Nico Kovac as he, as he took over. But in the beginning of the season when they faced some of those teams, whether it was Hertha Berlin or Dusseldorf the first time or Mines, Bayern seemed stunned to take a punch early on and didn't really recover. And that's just the type of effort they're going to see from their opponents down the stretch. I mean, I I look at that slate of games and it does worry me a lot.
0: No, absolutely. And another kind of important thing, they play Werder Bremen four days apart from each other Saturday in the Bundesliga and then Wednesday in the pokal And that won't be easy at all. But... I would rather have Bayern Munich's schedule than Borussia Dortmund's schedule, because looking ahead at Dortmund's next six games, you have two relatively easy games against Mainz and Freiburg, and then their final four games are the Revere Derby against Schalke, Werder Bremen, Fortuna Dusseldorf, and then they end against Borussia Mönchengladbach, and that is not an easy schedule whatsoever.
1: Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, neither team has an easy road to get to the end of the schedule. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I look at Dortmund's slate and I see some of the teams there. And I mean, I guess from my standpoint, I look at it and I see mines And all season. I've waited for that team to collapse, but it seems like every week they just continue to fight and continue to press their opponents and coming off of being absolutely dism- the demolished by Bayern Munich that could be a game where if Dortmund is not up for that if they are not at the top of their game minds I mean could easily walk out of there with a draw or a win I, I honestly I look at that and I see that game and that jumps out to me aside of Gladbach and Schalke and some of the obvious rivalries there I think that mindscape could be a sneaky game and and if they are able to pull it out against Dortmund it, that would give Bayern at least some breathing room but as we've talked about, it's, it's not going to be easy for either team.
0: No, absolutely. Both of the roads are really rough and really either team has an opportunity to go ahead and make up some lost time, whether that's Bayern through... Uh, through goal difference and just pouring on the goals to really pad their lead or if Dortmund is somehow able to go ahead and pick themselves up they could really keep the pressure on Bayern Munich and potentially make them pay for everything though that being said going back specifically to Der Klassiker There was absolutely zero pressure on Bayern Munich. So 10 minutes in, we have a wonderful header by Mats Hummels completely unmarked at the back of the post. And I think that was the biggest theme of the day is that nobody decided to mark Mats Hummels because he would keep running into the box. He would keep getting headers and No one decided to mark him whatsoever in the middle of the box. Seven minutes later, we've got Robert Lewandowski scoring after an absolute howler of a pass from Dan Axel Zagadu. That was absolutely incredible how he wasn't able to even see Lewandowski, what, five feet away from him. And then... A wonderful shot from Javi Martinez is followed up by another goal from Serge Gnabry in the 41st and 43rd minutes respectfully and I've never had a moment where I've just been so entertained by football that I start laughing uncontrollably because I I saw that Javi Martinez goal and got excited. And then the Serge Gnabry goal, I just started laughing because I didn't even know at that point that, uh, that Borussia Dortmund even had a back line whatsoever. Their, their defense was absolutely atrocious.
1: Yeah. It, that has been a pain point for that team uh, since 2019 started. Uh, the, the second half of the season Dortmund obviously is not the same team that they were in the first half but defensively is where you can really see where they've had some flaws really come to light and Bayern exposed that uh, whether it was inexperience, poor positioning poor decision making I mean Bayern applied enough pressure to force Dortmund into those mistakes and everything that possibly could have went wrong for Dortmund did and you know, to Bayern's credit, they took advantage of it, and they really did it in a fun way, which was great to watch. And I think that you know, as, as you look back at that game and you see the excitement and fire that Hummels brought to the table with that opening header, and then you see how Robert Lewandowski followed it up, it, it just set the tone for the game, and Dortmund was stunned. They never recovered from that.
0: No, absolutely not. And it really showed in their attacking, I think, One of the biggest stats that stands out to me is just attempts on goal. Bayern Munich had 22 attempts on goal, and Borussia Dortmund had four all game, and that just really shows that Bayern absolutely asserted their dominance over this game. They barely let Dortmund get any chances whatsoever on Manuel Neuer, and for a recovering goalkeeper, I think that's exactly what he wanted and exactly what he needed. So, just generally looking ahead, who do you think uh, who do you think really comes out on top of this?
1: When looking at the schedules, I mean there are positives and negatives for each team. As I play every scenario through my mind, I'm really looking at Bayern to emerge and capture that 7th consecutive title. I just feel like at this point in the season, they've adapted to Nico Kovac. They have bought into what he's selling, so to speak. And I think roster-wise, there's a little more harmony now, and there's just a, a lot more. I just feel like there's, they're much more in sync on the pitch than they were in the first half. And knowing that and seeing that the results that they've gotten lately, being able to pull out, a game against Heidenheim, which they easily could have lost, than to come out and destroy Dortmund like they did. I just think this is Bayern's race to lose. It's no disrespect to Dortmund. I mean, I don't think they did themselves any favors by keeping Mario Goetze on the bench to start the game on Saturday. I think that you could question, you know, the choice of their personnel in, in several areas. But that's still a very talented team. And they have the player who, by far, to me anyway, was the MVP of the first half of the season in Marco Royce. Anytime you have that much talent, you have an enigma like Jaden Sancho, I don't think you could count them out. But this is, in my opinion, Byron's race
0: to lose. Absolutely. So looking back, we were able to win Der Klassiker. It's a game we absolutely needed to win. And we did it. Now we're on the top of the table. And all we have to do is just look ahead to the very next game that we have to play, which is where we transition to Dare Ausblick. Yes, it's time for Der Ausblick, which is our look ahead to the very next match that Bayern Munich has to play. And this week, we face Fortuna Dusseldorf. So, Chuck, give me... A quick rundown on the people that we need to watch out for uh, for Dusseldorf.
1: So Dusseldorf is a very interesting team in a, in a lot of respects. To begin the season, it looked like they were just another team that was, you know, going to spend one year in the first division and then would return right back uh, to two Bundesliga but something's happened over the course of the last few months. And for whatever reason, they have really just bonded. I can't even explain it. But the results that they are getting, something has clicked in that team. And whether it's, you know, Dodi, Luka, you know, Benito, Ramon, I mean, those are players that shouldn't strike fear in you. But they've performed and they've done so well this season. I, it's just hard for me to look. From where they were at the beginning of the season to where they are now, and see how they could have gotten to this. I look at their roster. You go up and down the roster, whether it's Rowan Hennings, uh, Luca Bacchio, Raman. Uh, those are players, like I said, that they don't stand out as people who would strike fear into any team in the Bundesliga, but they have done well. And and I don't I don't know exactly you know how they've done it. I've watched several of their games. I follow them week to week and every week it seems that they just amaze me with the result that they get. And it hasn't always been easy. It, it, they've had some really low points, but at the same time, you know, they've gotten to the stage and they're in a they're in an excellent spot. I mean, I don't see them as being in any danger of relegation at this stage of the season.
0: No, absolutely not. They've done really really well for themselves except statistically it doesn't really make any sense i'm gonna go ahead and i apologize to the viewers in advance because i'm about to blitz with a lot of statistics so uh the club in and of itself is tied for 11th with freiburg for goals scored in the league with 38 uh they have 341 total shots which is 13th in the league uh The one that's most interesting to me is they are the Bundesliga leader in yellow cards with 57, Uh, and they are sixth in fouls committed with 339. Their top goal scorer right now is uh, someone you mentioned, Benito Ramon, with nine. He's tied with Torgen Hazard, uh, Ibishevich, and Ante Rebic from Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Their assists leader is Kevin Stoger with six. Uh, So, oh, and one more, Uh, their leader in shots is someone else you mentioned, uh, Luca Bacchio with 49. So they don't really scream a really high productive team, high production team, but somehow they've been able to make it work.
1: Yeah. And if you look at it, I mean, they're winners of four of their last six games I mean, they started by beating Nuremberg, which everyone's beating Nuremberg this year, so not that impressive. Then they move on; they beat Schalke again for nothing, kind of impressive. I mean, Schalke has been a huge disappointment, but you know, obviously, to you know, for Dusseldorf to pick up a 4-0 win there was impressive. Drop a couple of games to Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, but they came back. They played Bo Rush and Mönchengladbach three-one victory, Hertha Berlin 2 one victory. I mean, those. Those are not. Those teams are not slouches. Those are very good teams in the Bundesliga. And for Dusseldorf to come out, win four of those six games, that's impressive. And it's got them to the stage they're at, where you know they're looking forward and planning for next
0: season. Absolutely. But I honestly take a look at this team. I think that out of all of the, uh, out of all of the teams that Bayern Munich have to face, I kind of pegged Fortuna Dusseldorf as the one that they may have the most trouble with, only because I think that the team would really underestimate them, right? They would come off of this 5-0 win against Dortmund, and they would say, all right, we beat our main rival. The race is kind of over. We don't really need to worry anymore. We're at top of the league. And then Dusseldorf might come along, and they might really cause some trouble. But that being said, I don't really think that they will lose to Dusseldorf, and I think they'll that back line with Sula still there because the red card doesn't come into effect until the Pakal match on April twenty fourth against Werder Bremen. Uh, I think that the back line should be able to handle Dusseldorf pretty well.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean the one thing that that I always kind of wait for the other shoe to drop on is the Bayern back four and how aggressive they typically are offensively. And the one thing that does, you know, strike me as is, is an area where Dusseldorf could take advantage of that is with Luca Bacchio, who has shown great timing on his runs and is able to exploit space. So if Joshua Kimmich or David Alaba push too far upfield and one of the center backs is out of position, to see Luca Bacchio or to think about Luca Bacchio maybe one on one or possibly, you know, with a step on either Sula or Hummels or Jerome Boateng. that's not an advantageous situation. And overall, I mean, Bayern's a far stronger team, they have a much deeper roster. But, I mean, there are areas that, that Dusseldorf could exploit. I mean, that said, I, I don't expect Bayern to lose this game, but I don't also don't expect Dusseldorf to make it an easy contest either.
0: No, absolutely not. Going back to the reverse fixture, it was a 3-3 draw. Uh, Nicholas Sula scored in the 17th. Then Muller quickly followed that up with a goal in the 20th, and then another one in the 58th. Um, but going back to that man once again, Dodi Luca Bacchio, he scored a hat trick, including one goal in stoppage time in the 93rd minute to go ahead and... Uh, Take two points away from Bayern Munich. So, like you said, I think that they're going to be a really big problem for Munich because they'll have the players specifically that the Bayern back four might not exactly anticipate as really good, especially coming off of a win against a world class side like Dortmund. But again, I think that Bayern has all of the momentum in the world on their side, and I really don't see them dropping points in this one
1: yeah I mean to me it comes down to, to discipline and on the defensive end. will they get Koman and Gnabry will they track back like they did against Dortmund will Mueller, if Mueller, if he's in the game will he be able to track back like he did and and part of that will come down to to how Kovac aligns his players and to me I mean obviously he's going to start mixing in some of his depth And how those players are able to, what kind of chemistry those players have on the field, and how those players are able to interact. In a game like Dusseldorf, where you are the more talented team, you are the deeper team, you're just the better team, it's little things like that that can create that one moment of hesitation, that one moment where you lose your discipline, and a player like Luca Bacchio can take advantage of it. So, like we've talked about, it's hard to think about Bayern losing this game, but there is some danger to Dusseldorf
0: absolutely so that is the most recent fixture that Bayern munich will have to take care of uh and we are going to take a quick commercial break right now and when we come back we will discuss the three biggest stories that occurred in the last week uh we'll see you on the other side of the break we'll be right back after this message Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Now we have gone into the back half of the first podcast, and we start on the segment that we like to call... The Newsroom. That's right, it is time for The Newsroom. And here on The Newsroom, we are going to go ahead and look at some of the bigger stories that we have covered at our blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. So the very first one that we are going to cover is the Pakal looking ahead. Uh, the overall Pakal draw is Bayern Munich versus Werder Bremen and Hamburg versus Leipzig. So we're gonna do a really quick rundown of both of those. So we'll start off with uh, Werder Bremen. Chuck, what do you think that uh, what do you think that Werder Bremen is going to bring to the table against Bayern Munich?
1: I think that this is a, this is a tough matchup. I think that Bremen has absolutely improved tenfold over the course of the season. I think they have a deep and talented roster, and and overall they're just playing really well right now. Uh, Max Cruza is he's impressed to say the least. I mean, this has been a tremendous run of play from him. But the player to really keep an eye on, and I'd love to say Josh Sargent right now as much as I'd like to pump up the uh, USMNT player, but it's Milo Rashika has been unbelievable for Werder Bremen. I mean, this is a player that I think that any fan of the Bundesliga needs to watch. He's exciting, he's creative, and he's relentless. And a lot of times, he just plays with a mean streak. He's a lot of anti-rebbage qualities in him, but he is not to say that they're the same type of player, but he has just really been phenomenal for them. And the way that he has really impacted games by exerting himself on the opposition, it's really carried the Werder Bremen offense and made people like Cruza better. And, you know, when you look at some of the young talent that they have, whether it's, you talk about the Eggesteins, Johannes, and Max, I mean, they have young, hungry dangerous players and this won't be an easy matchup sure i mean Bayern, no doubt the more talented the deeper team the better team but this will not be an easy draw i mean obviously i think we all would have preferred to see hamburg here maybe get a little peek at jan fiat arp but obviously you know the vertebrae with the vertebrae draw it's something that we're going to have to look at and and see how Bayern adapts i really think this is a big test for them
0: you look at this roster. They've got people like you mentioned, Josh Sh- Josh Sargent. They also have uh, former Bayern Munich foes in Nuri Sahin. Uh, they have a Bayern Munich loanee, I believe, Marco Friedel. Uh, a good Dutch midfielder, Davy clausen And I mean, American uh, USMNT fans will tell you that any team with Aaron Johansson on it is one that needs to be uh, watched out for, but. Aside from how good the squad is on paper, they're eighth in the Bundesliga. They're really up there fighting for spots in Europe. And this squad really looks like it's good enough to potentially really fight to get its way in there. Maybe not to a Champions League, but at least to a Europa League.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. I I, I mean, when I looked at Werder Bremen going back to last year, the terrible first half of the season, but over the course of their second half last year, you could see there was something building there. They had talent. They had ability. And they started to have some depth. And you started to see that. The fact that Marco Friedel can go from Bayern Munich some to Werder Bremen, And it was a place where I thought Friedel was going to be able to step right in and play and be a significant contributor. I mean, he's played, what, four games this year? That's that's something that tells me that Werder Bremen right now, I mean, they have a good talent base. They don't need to foster loanies from Bayern Munich to be good. I, I really think that, you know, this team is developing. I think they're they're going to compete for a European spot up until the last weekend. And I think, you know, you know, barring any unforeseen, you know, sales of of their talent, such as Rashika. Or even Davy Kloss. And I, I think that this is a team that next year when we come and look at them, I mean, this is a team I think we're going to look at for a top four slot. I really think they are headed down the right path. It's just a matter. Can they compete financially with some of the bigger teams in the league?
0: Another really big thing that we need to consider is the fact that this is the team that knocked Borussia Dortmund out of the Pacal. They're really good, and they're incredibly deep in terms of their talent pool. So I think, especially considering the fact that Bayern Munich get to play them twice, as I mentioned before, they get to play them twice in the span of four days, I think that's something that will be especially uh, taxing, where even if Bayern Munich may draw or maybe in a terrible case scenario, they might lose to Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga game. They have this Pakal game coming up, and if they're absolutely tired and absolutely exhausted, then that might not work out terribly well in their favor. Just really quickly before we move on to the very next one, Hamburg versus RB Leipzig. Timo Werner is going to have a field day with that team. I don't see any scenario where Hamburg uh, is able to move on.
1: Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I I just I think at this stage to look at where RB Leipzig is as a team, how they've played and how they've developed over the course of the season. The fact that they have Timo Werner, who's I mean, obviously, if anyone that reads anything I write on BFW that I'm on a hashtag team Timo, uh, I, I would love to see him at Bayern. But anyone who follows you know anything that i that i write you can see that i appreciate what he does bring to the field i think he has exceptional speed i think he's a dangerous attacker and i know he has many many detractors out there but just between Werner and polson i mean they have some exciting players they have players that will push the pace at you that will be relentless in the attack and i just don't think hamburg aside of their success that they've had this year in the second division I just don't think that they're ready to withstand what they're going to face against Leipzig
0: I'm equally Tim uh team Timo and I think our longtime friend and contributor I need no name is probably rolling over screaming about how much he hates Timo Werner right now but moving on to our next story um it's that the current president of the day Bay reinhard grindel will be stepping down from his position uh and i think some way equally as important and maybe for some people at least myself included is a little bit shocking is that philip lum is currently the favorite to get that position so that one we'll tackle in like a couple of minutes but first i'm Personally, I'm really glad that Reinhard Grindel is leaving that position. I'm with
1: you 100%. As much as I would love to disagree and we could argue like this was some ESPN show, I'm with you 100%. I think that the damage has kind of been done in some ways. I think developmentally that Germany is not where it needs to be in terms of pushing out talent and players and, and how those players not just develop, but just how they achieve getting to that top team, uh, the national team, and what they've looked like. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any plan there in terms of, integrating those new players it seemed like we jumped straight from trying to live off the glory of 2014 to having tremendous success in the 2017 Confederations Cup but never really knowing how to make all of that talent gel and i think that that's where the biggest flaw has been and and you know we could sit here and point the finger at yogi low which i'm more than happy to do and that that i've done several times but i think some of that starts at the top and the fact that there is no one checking on Lowe. There's no one making sure that he does have a plan, that there was some kind of path forward from how to get to from the 2017 Confederations Cup to the 2018 World Cup to get to where we are today. It seems like it's been choppy and that there really hasn't been anything that leads anyone to believe that, hey, we're going to fix what's going on here. And there is an idea. There is a way forward. I just don't believe that there was, and I think that this change was was a necessity.
0: I agree. Uh, even outside of a development factor, I think that this is a phenomenal move, and I think I believe that many of our followers will agree with this. Um, if you remember back to the World Cup. Um, and what Reinhard Grindel did after Germany fell out, he had the biggest role to play in pointing fingers and blaming Mesut Ozil for the entirety of the reason why Germany fell out of the 2018 World Cup. It wasn't that Yogi Love made terrible lineup decisions. It wasn't that Yogi Love kept most of the squad that came to Brazil and won the World Cup in 2014 it wasn't that he tried to keep some of that youth that he brought to Russia for the Confederations Cup and inject that into the lineup it wasn't even that some of the performances from a myriad of players were bad that maybe Mamel Noir got rushed back too quickly that as much as I love Thomas Muller he kind of didn't work that well in the squad no no, it was none of that. It was entirely because Mesut Ozil decided to shake the hands of uh, the Turkish president, Erdogan. And Grindel just really stoked this and kind of went with the anti... I guess the anti-Turkish sentiment at the time. And its inc- I found it to be incredibly disgusting. And I'm really glad that this... Uh, that this man is out. This was a. It was a media event that the day of Bay had every opportunity to go ahead and take command of, and hold on to, and internally deal with. And it was partially because of Reinhard Grindel that it became this absolutely toxic media nightmare that it was. And I think for. If for no other reason, this reason alone is the biggest one why I'm very glad that he's leaving.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. Ozil was was quite hard in the World Cup, but he was one of many players who were terrible in that World Cup. So, I mean, to, to kind of point any fingers at him for what happened off the field, um, even to try and insinuate that that was some sort of distraction, It was just ludicrous. And, you know, to me, I I look at everything that occurred there in the World Cup. And at that point, I think that it was pretty clear that some kind of change in leadership was needed. It's kind of sad that it took this long for something to happen. But in the end, you know, as we always kind of like to say, no one likes to see someone lose their job. But this was needed. I mean, there are other candidates who are out there who might be able to, to kind of push Germany toward a, a better path forward than where they're at right now.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Uh, moving on to the next story, uh, one that will at least get you and me excited as Americans. Uh, reportedly, Iron Robin will be leaving Bayern Munich to go to MLS this summer, with the top club that he is linked to being uh, former MLS Cup winners, Toronto FC. Now, I'm not the biggest follower of MLS, but I was really excited when Bastian Schweinsteiger came to Chicago and with Arjen Robin joining a team like Toronto, which has already had a whole bunch of... um, success uh I think it's phenomenal that he's even considering the MLS
1: yeah I mean it would it would be super exciting to see Robin in North America I mean preferably I'd love him to go to the Philadelphia Union but um you know just for the fans here to have an opportunity to see a legend like him play I think it would really it would be great for the fans first and foremost but I think it would be it would be great for him I don't think talent-wise that that Robin is limited to the MLS at this point. I still think he could go out and play in a top league in Europe and be a very solid contributor, maybe not in a full-time starter, but I believe he has enough gas in the tank to play in any league in the world. With him, it's always been about injuries, and this year, obviously, I mean, he's been injured since late November the doctors have had a hell of a time trying to figure out what's wrong with him. I mean he's been frustrated, the team has been frustrated. It would be great for him to get healthy, to come over to North America, hopefully to the Union, and and really just, you know, show the American fans maybe what they haven't seen before. Obviously, most fans of, of world soccer know who he is. They know that he can cut into his left better than maybe anyone ever has. But You know, to give kids an idea of, you know, what kind of a legend they're about to watch. And you could see it with Zlatan. I mean, every game with him is a party. He is fun to watch. Wayne Rooney, the same way. They do something every game that makes you want to watch. And it's been interesting to watch Schweinsteiger, how he's adapted and how he's moved to center back for the Chicago Fire. To see players of that class to be able to come over here and, you know show that they still have something to offer it's great and i i for one I would love to see robin over here even if it is with toronto
0: touching on that a little bit if anything else right besides um, besides robin just deciding to continue to play more it doesn't really help mls's image as a uh, their world image at least as it's a retirement league but i think he'll add a lot of quality to any team he goes to even an mls team but the one thing that i'm really looking forward to is that if he comes we're gonna see bastion schweinsteiger versus iron robin in the mls and i just i revel in that i think that'll be really hilarious
1: Oh, that would that would be phenomenal. But I, honestly, I think the MLS should embrace that image. Why not? Why not have great players come over and finish their career here? To me, it just matters that you're getting great players coming over, impacting games. I mean, it's not like Schweinsteiger showed up thirty pounds overweight, drinking Natty Light. You know, he had a you didn't have a, a pack of camels. You know, with him. I mean, he showed up in shape. He's been very good. Zlatan has taken over the league. I I don't know if you pass, you know, you pass a, a game where he's on the screen, you can't turn it off. And the same with Wayne Rooney. These were guys who were at some points kind of had reached the quote unquote joke stage of the career where they were great at one point, but what really do they have left? No, they have something to offer. They have a lot to offer. And to me, as someone who like you, Jake, I, I'm not like spending tons of time watching MLS, but when I see these players, and it makes me want to watch more games, and I have. I absolutely have watched more games since players like Schweinsteiger, Zlatan, and Wayne Rooney have come over. It's made the games more exciting for me. And maybe that's weird. Maybe I, I have something wrong with me, but I actually enjoy it.
0: I'm a college student, and you gave me absolute nightmares with the Natty Light comment, <laughs> but... um. But yeah, I think I've I would definitely tune into more games if a player like Ian Robin went to MLS. Now, I don't think that he has the quality to go ahead and enjoy uh, a nice long career in the MLS or even with one of the more top-tier teams, right? I don't know if he goes to LA and has a really good time linking up with Zlatan Ibrahimovic for LA Galaxy. Uh, nor do I think that he has the capability, or I would say, even the um, only because of his injuries, I would say that he doesn't necessarily have the pedigree to go ahead and join enjoy, um, a uh, team like Atlanta United, which, by far and away, despite the fact that they've had their struggles at the beginning, beginning of the year, is clearly the best team in MLS. But with a side like Toronto, I think he really has room to grow and really make this league his own if he wants to. And I think that even if this is his final chapter of his footballing career, I can't think of a better league to go to than for him to make that move over to the United States or Canada if he goes to Toronto.
1: Totally. I, I. I- I, for one, look forward to seeing him abuse left backs all over the continental United States and Canada. I would love to see that. So I'm hoping it happens. You know, there's been some some rumors now that maybe Toronto might not work this year. Maybe they would have to wait until next season for that. And that's great because, you know, the Philadelphia Union could probably use him or, you know, team like that. So, yeah, I... I, I I'm excited about it. I hope it happens. You know, it's kind of weird to say this, but I, I really do think that he could contribute even at Bayern next season as a substitute. But let him go somewhere where he's going to play regularly. Let him go and show what he can do. I, I think he's he's got more than enough in the tank. I mean, the guy's in great shape. You can't dispute that. He's just had some god awful luck with injuries, and you know, maybe that will change if he if he leaves Byron. We all know you know the uh, Byron medical staff and how things work there. So maybe he just needs a change of scenery with that as well.
0: Listen, Muller Wolfhart is the greatest doctor on the planet. He has never done anything weird or wrong in his long <laughs> tenure as a medical professional. <laughs> He's the greatest medical professional in the world. Do not knock him. And also, you are really trying to get that Robin to the Philadelphia Union hype train going there. I, uh, I don't I see have... it happening. Uh,
1: I have written endlessly about it so i i am i'm all on board with that hopefully it happens but you know knowing philadelphia's luck probably not
0: probably not so that is the newsroom and we will move on to our last segment which is all right it is time for our before we go segment which is our last discussion topic where we We'll look at a big picture topic and talk back and forth and see what we think about it. And this week, it goes a little something like this. Bayern Munich fans should take a strong step back and realize that we are in the middle of a rebuilding era. That Niko Kovac should probably stay with the club and that this is a natural cycle. Teams rebuild all the time. Teams need to tear themselves down once the older core of players is you know, old, and realize that they need time to restructure and rebuild. The writing's been on the wall for a little while, with Robin and Ribery both being slower than they used to be, with Manuel Neuer being more injured than typical, and with an aging back line that just turned 30 years old this season. So, looking back on it, it's no surprise why they brought Nico Kovac into the club. The club didn't need a well-known international manager. They needed a manager that has a good tradition of building up clubs. Look at what he did with Eintracht Frankfurt and the multiple talents that Eintracht Frankfurt have produced, what with Ante Rebic and now Luka Jovic. It's clear that the board likes Niko Kovac, despite the previous statements today from KHR saying that there is no opportunity... There's no clear cut and obvious way to keep Niko Kovac at Bayern Munich. However, I think the fans should go ahead and take a step back and really realize where they are right now and realize that Niko Kovac has made the best out of this situation. We probably weren't going to win the Champions League with this squad, especially with Joshua Kimmich out for the second leg and Thomas Muller out for both of them. That did not help so if we were really to look at ourselves there's nobody to really blame it's just the facts of life the fact of the matter is Bayern Munich right now is older and needs to be retuned which is what we're going to do this summer Nico Kovac didn't need to win the Champions League this year and if you put that pressure on him I think that's kind of unfair Keep in mind, this is not Pep Guardiola that we brought in here. This is not a Jose Mourinho that we could have possibly brought in here. No, this is a manager that has rebuilt teams in the past, and we need that rebuilding right now. So that's what we're going to do this summer. Now, should we go ahead and dump Niko Kovac just because he wasn't allowed to go ahead and buy the players that he want, was forced to stick with a team, and was told that he couldn't buy pretty much anyone because they were going to be building up money to spend this upcoming summer? In my opinion, no. I think it's completely unfair to put the expectations that we had for Pep Guardiola On Niko Kovac because the fact of the matter is this is not three years ago when Pep Guardiola was here and when we brought in Carlo Ancelotti to try to finish out what Pep Guardiola did. This is not that team from hell. It's not that team from even last year. This is an older, obviously struggling team. But that's okay. Because it's okay to have a lower expectation for a team going through a rebuild. I'm from Connecticut, and I've long loved the UConn women's basketball team. I pretty much expect for UConn to win every single year, but for the past couple of years, I understand why they haven't won the national championship. It's because Gino Oriyama has been trying to rebuild this entire team because it's hard when you lose a quality player like Brianna Stewart and have to replace her with a whole bunch of other players who aren't nearly as experienced as her. So looking back on it, we should all really embrace this rebuild, and we should embrace Nico Kovac to lead it. We don't need to go and hire Jose Mourinho just because he's a big name. Jose Mourinho is a tumor in a locker room wherever he goes. So why would we want to bring that to Bayern Munich? We wouldn't. We would want a manager that would care about the club. A manager that would understand what his expectations are. And it's up to us as the fans to try to support him at every step of the way. Because like it or not, this is probably the man that is going to build the Bayern Munich that we will see for the future. So that was before we go. Uh, Chuck, do you have any particular thoughts on uh, Niko Kovac's tenure so far and the potential future?
1: Yeah, I mean, like you've said, I mean, this is a unique period because Bayern is in a state of rebuild, but they're still highly successful. They still have loads of talent. And I think that it's a unique situation in that Kovac is, I think he's got some great ideas. I think he's worked well. In managing the personalities i mean there have been some meltdowns uh, james rodriguez or james rodriguez as as we've seen i mean there have been some disagreements um but through all of this Kovac has kind of held everything together to get them to the point in the season where they're not just in contention but they're at the top of the table and they're at the top of the table with a roster where you could lose as many as, what, six, seven players? I mean, key players. These are not, you know, just standard bench players. These are good players. James may not be back. You've heard rumors about Jerome Boateng. You've heard rumors about Matt Hummels. Even David Alaba, as ludicrous as that sounds. But, I mean, somewhere, someway, there is going to be turnover. The roster is going to get younger. But Bayern has found this formula to make it work. It's not a complete overhaul. There is no process here. This is more of a reload than a rebuild. And I think that Kovac is the man to kind of lead through this. I mean, there are definitely things that I would like to see done. I would like to see more of a commitment to Thomas Muller. I think he's proven again this year that he should be the man behind Robert Lewandowski as the attacking midfielder. I think that foursome with Lewandowski, Mueller, Gnabry, and Coman is dangerous. I think that they are as good as as anyone, and I think that if they were given a little more opportunity, it's the perfect mix of veterans and young players that could really help carry the offense. And I think that's the the biggest key for Kovac and the Bayern front office, finding that mix of being able to integrate those young, talented players – with savvy veterans who still have something to offer. And when you look at the current day Bayern roster, you know, you can talk about the additions of Benjamin Pavard or Lucas Hernandez, but I still see that there's a need for a player like Mats Hummels. And I think he proved his value once again this weekend. And it's really just it really just comes down to finding that mix. Can you find a good mix of old and new and make it work? And so far... Throughout many ups and downs, Kovac has found a way to do that this season. It gives me confidence to think he can do it next year when there will be even more turnover. I think he's got the right mindset and mentality to deal with the superstar players and make them realize this is this is something bigger than just you. And that doesn't mean he's going to sit Robert Lewandowski anytime soon. But, you know, it does give me the confidence that, that he's been able to work through some of those situations and really make this season successful to date. Now, what happens from here, we'll see. But, you know, he's definitely done some good things, even though
0: there were many, many circumstances working against him. And I think one thing, aside from the fact that the players have been really good, right, and we could go ahead and say that Hamas has been really out of form and that it took a while for Mats Hummels to come back in form, I'm in complete agreement with you on Hummels. Like, I think that there may have been no better heading defender in all of German football, right? Like, I think even in his small... Uh, offensive capabilities i think he's incredibly important to the team he's a, another tall person that can jump up and head the ball really well and i agree with you on thomas Muller. and i think that that front four is already really really deadly and when you consider the fact that byron is set by some projections to spend over 200 million dollars or 200 million euros This summer and some of those rumored names are either um, Paulo Dybala or Antoine Griezmann, right? You consider those names and Those are phenomenal names that would really add to that Attacking prowess, but even if it isn't any of them, right? We really need to consider the fact that Nico Kovac wasn't around, allowed to bring in any players that he wanted because the board told him to wait until the following summer. I think that is something that people really need to take into account when they're considering Kovac's performance over the year. And I know that there are already a whole bunch of people probably on the Kovac out hype train. Uh, And I might not be convincing them by anything I said before, but maybe this will, right? We can go ahead and mock Florentino Perez at Real Madrid because he's kind of deserving of mockery. He took Carlo Ancelotti, who won the Champions League, and then promptly fired him, right? Not to say that Niko Kovac has that same level of success, but we shouldn't be Florentino Perez's in this situation, right? We shouldn't fire a manager because they have one season of really bad form, right? You can look at how we kind of handled Carlo Ancelotti, right? He had January to go ahead and build himself up, and then he had the summer, and there were reports that he had lost the locker room, and everything was in shambles, and... As much as I kind of contradicted myself with the whole Florentino Perez statement and then looked at the situation with how the Bayern board treated Carlo Ancelotti, I feel that that exact same um, sentiment should be put here because I think it would be incredibly premature to go ahead and, and fire a manager that wasn't allowed to make the squad his own, whether it was tactically or by formation or by bringing in players. And I just don't think that that's fair to Niko Kovac.
1: I agree. I think he's earned at a minimum another year. Everything in life is year to year, so you know we'll see what happens. But some of the things that he's worked through, how he's handled some of the superstar drama that has been around the team, I think he's just earned it, and he's shown the ability to not only change his tactics, but adjust on the fly. He's been able to show how he can affect the locker room in a positive light, and sure, not every player is going to like him, and a guarantee is that every player will become frustrated with him at one point or another. There isn't a coach alive that that's, that, that does not happen to, but what Kovac has brought to the table this year, in a very difficult circumstance, to be able to get this team to, to gel together and display some of the chem- chemistry that it has to this point. I think he's done a great job. I mean, you know, sure, people will still long for the days of, you know, Pep Guardiola or Yupankus, but they're not walking through that door right now. So Nico Kovach it is for me.
0: Yeah, uh, Frau Heinckes will be definitely making sure that he does not step up yet again. I can still imagine that possibly like a 100 years from now, Jupp Heinckes will rise from the grave to come at his fifth time at the helm of Bayern Munich. But that is much further down the road, longer than this podcast may be around, definitely longer than you and I will be around. But until that day comes at least... um, as of right now, I am on the Kovach in train. So with that being said, I think this is it. I think this wraps our very first episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Our goal will try to be to release one of these a week with the exception of international breaks. Uh, we'll definitely try to plan some stuff over the summer with the women's world cup with uh the bavarian women representing the german women's national team and of course an entire summer full of transfer rumors will be something to digest. So just because the season is winding down it doesn't mean that we will be winding down even though we are just getting this started. So uh Chuck, thank you very much for taking the time out to talk to me today. Uh, anything that you have that you want to go ahead and promote?
1: Just read the Daily Schmackle every morning and check out Bavarian Footwork, Bavarian Football Works. You know, several dozen times a day. Uh, we're trying to update as much as possible and trying to provide as much up-to-date Bayern news and opinions as you can handle. So give us a run. Tell us you know, tell your friends about us. Maybe uh, hit us up on Twitter. You can reach me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. And uh, you know, thanks for listening to this e- opening podcast for us. Hopefully, it wasn't too painful on your ears.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jefferson Fenner. Uh, and like Chuck said, be sure to check out the blog. And if you're a fan of, um, if you're a fan of Bayern Munich and you listen to this podcast and there hasn't been blood coming out of your ears yet and you really enjoyed it, uh, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please recommend it. And by doing that, it's going to be extremely helpful to us uh, through development of this, through potentially getting things like guests on the show, Uh, and anything that you can contribute in terms of subscriptions and, uh, I guess attention to this, uh, podcast would be absolutely amazing. So with that, Chuck, do you have, uh, anything else you'd like to say?
1: No, that's about it. Thanks for listening. And, uh, hopefully this is something that you guys will enjoy on a frequent basis. So join us every time we post a new
0: podcast. So from all of us here at Bavarian Podcast Works, uh, thank you very much. And until next time, auf Wiedersehen.